Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, from Peachfish Productions, it's the gist, I'm Mike Pesca. Yesterday, the Daily Beast reported that the polling website 538 might be on the chopping block of corporate parent ABC. It's a tough time for media. I like and use 538. I know people who work there and have worked there, and I've played poker with Nate Silver, the site's founder. I always invite Nate on the show. He always says, sure, and then it doesn't happen. Is it my fault? Is it his fault? Am I just not going to give the satisfaction to a guy who sucked out on a flush draw on the river. Anyway, lots of roiling emotions. And speaking of emotions, we get to a quote in the Daily Beast story from rival pollster Simon Rosenberg. Rosenberg used to work for Bill Clinton, and he was one of the few voices who was telling anyone who would listen, this is not going to be a red wave. And he was right. And 538's Nate Silver was, well, actually, he wasn't wrong. He never said wave or no wave. He had the Democrats as as having a 60% chance of taking the Senate in October, but then he revised that, and before Election Day, it was the Republicans with a 60% chance of taking the Senate. They did not. Doesn't mean the 60% was wrong, it just means that, in retrospect, you'd have been better off betting on the side that 538 said was less likely to win. In the House, 538 predicted a range of possibilities. Most of them were a small Republican win. In fact, the most likely outcome that 538 predicted was Republicans having 227 seats in the House. But Silver did include in his models polls that Simon Rosenberg said were partisan Republican. And they were. And Nate Silver acknowledged this and his model priced that into it. But also, Nate was fairly dismissive of Rosenberg. Here was the 538 podcast six days before the election. There's Galen Druk, the host, asking questions, and Nate making a drug pun. Oh, no. Not this partisan pollster bullshit. I mean, you had to expect it. Not this bullshit, dude. You had to expect it. I've never seen so much hopium smoke done. (laughs) What's the guy's name? Like Simon Rosenberg or something? That's his name. And Rosenberg does not want Nate to forget it, telling the Daily Beast, quote, if he, Silver, refuses to make significant reforms and changes, the political elite should move on to other sources to get information about polling. Democratic strategist and former ABC News producer Simon Rosenberg told the Daily Beast. Uh, The ABC News producer part is very misleading. Rosenberg has no part in the decision-making process of ABC. He worked there two years out of college in 1985. But the substance of the critique was clearly personal. Rosenberg himself tweeted the Beast article highlighting his quote. His bio on Twitter and in LinkedIn says, American political analyst and strategist, liberal Democrat, hopium purveyor. He tweets about his dog's health, saying he has hopium for poor Tug's injured leg. Rosenberg took Silver's insult to heart, and now he's happy to shiv Silver, and the dozens of employees of 538 are collateral damage. But I guess Rosenberg deserves a victory lap or slap. He got it right. But I ask, to what degree? Rosenberg based his election prediction on his model of the early vote, not 538's model of the polls. Based on this, he appeared on left-leaning media outlets, citing the trends as he saw them. Here is one appearance on the Midas Touch podcast on November 6th. feel very, very good about Georgia and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio. The vote there has been very, very strong. Um, I'm a little worried about Oregon. The data there is not so good for us. California was down a lot in what was scary for the House races there. 
California has gotten a lot better in recent days, a lot better, still not where we want it to be. And New York was actually trending very badly. And there are, you know, really critical house races there. And then it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of days. Okay, so New York was actually a bloodbath for Democrats. And if you go over the states where he expressed optimism, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, the Democrats did win, but then they lost in Wisconsin and they lost in Ohio. J.D. Vance lost by six points. Rosenberg continued. And the state that's moved the most, this is the thing to watch, right? The state that's moved the most is Texas. Better O'Rourke's 100,000 volunteers that he has, the biggest field operation ever built in the history of Texas is clearly moving the needle there. I mean, he was 10 points down in the early vote a week ago. He's now only two points down in the early vote. That's a dramatic shift. And O'Rourke lost by 11. Rosenberg would go on MSNBC and say 538 and real clear politics, which, by the way, was and is in the bag for Republicans. But 538 was off because they were giving Republicans a half point advantage in generic congressional ballots where it should be Democrats by a half point. Not just a small difference, but in the end, Republicans won the total congressional vote by three percentage points. My point is Simon Rosenberg was directionally right. I probably took 538's predictions a little too much to heart. I would always say on this show that this is what the polls are indicating. But yeah, maybe not all the polls or not all the best polls were indicating it quite as strongly as it came out. So now Simon Rosenberg wants to dance on the presumed grave of arrival. To do so is to exalt in, like I said, dozens of people losing their jobs, but also to advance a kind of unfair premise in terms of data. It's not that Silver was so wrong. It's that he was insulting and dismissive of Nate Silver. It's less about numbers and more about feelings. Feelings count, guys. I get it. It's up to him how to act and how to comport himself. I actually thought hopium was supposed to yield euphoria. What Rosenberg seems to be dabbling in is ketamine. On the show today, Leopard 2 mechanized armored boogaloo. But first, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist David K. Johnston has analyzed Donald Trump's tax returns, talked to several former IRS agents, and come to some conclusions. He sees legal exposure for Trump. I question Johnson on that. Is it more a conclusion born of hope or green eye shades and adding machines? Author of The Big Cheat, how Donald Trump fleeced American enriched himself and his family, David K. Johnston up next. Do you like podcasts? Yeah, you do. The gist is one. But maybe you like the gist because it's a little surprising. It basically fits in with your worldview, but it challenges you a little bit. I found a podcast that's very much like this. It's called Beyond Politics. It's why I love podcasts. It's informative. It's entertaining. It's not predictable. The hosts are experts. One is a former U.S. Congressman, Paul Hodes, and the other is, well, he's a political operative and he ran congressional offices, but he's just a really good broadcaster who asks great questions, Matt Robeson. And these two guys, Hodes was an elected Democrat, are from that perspective, but they'll bring in other perspectives. They'll challenge each other and they'll have great conversations. That's how I found them. I often research guests by doing a search for what other politics podcasts they've been on. And I keep coming across beyond politics and I found that not only were their interviews great but just the dynamic between these two hosts was really good it's really listenable it's surprising it's worth it 
Subscribe to Beyond Politics on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're the type who likes to watch podcasts on YouTube, you can find Beyond Politics on the Blue Amp channel. Subscribe there, too. During the Trump presidency, an enduring and accurate critique was that Donald Trump did not release his taxes. This violated a norm, but also represented a danger in that the Trump organization did business with countries and entities that the Trump administration had official relations with and policy towards. It was the very definition of in the public interest. There's also the issue of Trump dishonestly promising he would release his taxes and never doing it. But as we came to learn, that was par for the course with Trump. So the tax forms were one of the white whales of Trump's time in office, or maybe the beloved sled rosebud said to explain much. Now, along the way, one set of tax documents was disclosed and the New York Times won a Pulitzer for its examination of it in 2018. And you might remember a well-watched Rachel Maddow segment on some tax documents. That was the revelation of two pages of Trump's 2005 taxes as acquired by the journalist David K. Johnston, then with the Daily Beast. You'll also recall that one of the last acts of the Democratic-controlled House Ways and Means Committee was to release Trump's federal income tax returns from 2015 to 2020. I was traveling at the time of the release and I was just salivating for when I would come back and read the big write-up that would eventually be featured on the front page of the New York Times or the Journal or the Post. That write-up never came. I mean, there were stories, but this was what we were promised as the information that could bring Trump down. I do not exactly understand why, I'm trying to understand why, and joining me now is the aforementioned David K. Johnston, who has examined the taxes and reached the reachable conclusions about what they say. Hello, welcome. Welcome back to The Gist, I believe, David. Mike, glad to be with you. So give me your headline from you reading all these hundreds and hundreds of pages. What legal liabilities should Trump face? Trump committed a minimum of 26 acts of criminal tax fraud uh, that are easy and simple to prove. There are many other things in his tax returns that point to fraud, but would require uh, audits in which the business records behind the numbers on the tax return have to be analyzed and examined. But I've had a number of retired, now retired IRS auditors who were confidential sources of mine when I was covering taxes for the New York Times, reach out to me and say that, the, basically, essentially, they all say the same thing. Many of these numbers make no sense whatsoever. They appear to be just made up. And that there are uh, entries that appear to be clearly improper. Uh, now, the 26 uh, items that I mentioned, I wrote a piece for, well, first for DC Report, the news service I founded, then for the Daily Beast, and then finally... Uh, for the January 8th New York Daily News, detailing a simple, almost slam dunk, fraud criminal case that Alvin Bragg could bring against Donald Trump because in New York State, your state income tax return is very, very close to your federal return. Okay, so that answers one of my questions. The reason that you were uh, advising or advocating that Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan DA, brings this, even though they're federal taxes, is what you just said. Lying, lying on your New York state returns or lying on your federal returns has implications under New York state law. Well, it's you're, you're going to make the same numbers on your federal and state returns in New York. This isn't true in all states. And so 
uh, he's got uh, all fraud cases are difficult, but here's the key thing he has for this case. Uh, I broke the story in 2016 that Donald Trump had lost two tax fraud trials in 1992 over his 1984 income taxes. These were civil, not criminal cases. Although he should have been referred for criminal prosecution because his own tax lawyer of many years, Jack Mitnick, testified that, uh, in effect, that Donald Trump forged his own tax return. He, he used a photocopy machine to put Jack Mitnick's signature as the preparer on a return he didn't prepare. Well, that also meant Donald Trump was on notice that uh, doing what he did 26 times as a candidate and president is improper. And what he did was he reported he had a business. It had no revenue, but he took hundreds of thousands of dollars in deductions. And the unless Donald has business records, and I'm highly confident he does not, these are just made up out of uh, whole cloth. And in addition, Donald and I discussed this on April 27th, 2016, when he called me at home, the last time we ever spoke. And uh, uh, so he's on notice from both the court and the questions I asked that doing this is uh, illegal. And that is clear and powerful evidence of what's called mens rea or criminal intent. Right, which is so hard to prove. How do you get in someone's mind? It's a key element in, for instance, the charges around the January 6th advocacy of marching to the Capitol. But I want to go back to the, what you call near slam dunk 26 examples of fraud. These are based on Schedule C filings. I use Schedule C. I know you use Schedule C for your book writing projects. And it is not the case that a a, a Schedule C, uh, which shows zero income, is ipso facto, legal term, fraudulent. So why are you saying the fact that there uh, are 26 of his 65 Schedule Cs that don't show income? Why is that necessarily not just a red flag or something to look into, but why is that evidence of fraud? Well, two elements to this, and, and let me explain. I'm not a lawyer, but I've been a professor of law now for 14 years at Syracuse University's College of Law, and I've lectured on the law all over the world. Uh, Donald is on notice that you can't create a fictitious business with no record that you did anything. In the 84 case tried in, cases tried in 92, he had no invoices, no receipts. He didn't even have calendar entries or phone and log entries. He had nothing. And knowing how Donald does business, I've known him for almost 35 years, uh, I'm sure that there are no business records to substantiate what's there. And the district attorney of Manhattan got all the accounting records from Mazars. They had to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to get them, but they got them. And uh, unless he actually has records, then that's fraud. Yeah, but to be fair, uh, that is an inference on your part that he has no records. It is absolutely an inference, but it's not a wild guess. It's Mm -hmm. based on almost 35 years of of very carefully watching his finances. So then what would have to happen to pursue a case, and we're not even talking on the federal level, is for even the Manhattan DA to then say, you need to produce the expenses to justify these deductions. Can the Manhattan DA compel that? Yes. And indeed, um, they have a uh, an agreement with Alan Weiselberg, who, was, uh, who, who pled guilty to uh, Trump a tax fraud on behalf of Trump. Uh, he got in the witness stand and said, oh, Donald didn't know about it. Uh, I did this for myself, which is just nonsense. Uh, he was still employed after he testified. That tells you that uh, Donald, of course, knew what was going on. And uh, they can put him under oath 
and compel him to answer questions, and they can ask for the business records. Uh, and frankly, I don't understand why they didn't do this during the investigation when there was an attempt to create a RICO case, a New York State racketeering case that Alvin Bragg shut down and the two very, very qualified prosecutors, uh, Mark Pomerantz and uh, Corey Dunn, uh, resigned uh, as a matter of principle. So there were questions, there were pressures on Bragg. Bragg did bring some prosecutions. We just saw the fruit of one of those prosecutions, which is a $1.6 million fine for the Trump business and Weisselberg sentenced to some jail time. This would argue that if it is as slam dunk as you're saying, what would be the incentive for him not to pursue this? Two things are elemental to this. You'd have to either know what I knew or have remembered the article I wrote in 2016 or read my book. Well, he has a subscription to the Daily yeah, well, News, right? But, I mean, you well, I just told him now, <laughs> yes. But but yeah. at the time they were investigating, uh, you know, you'd have to know that. I mean, if if, 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 if unless you read my books and articles before the 16, 2016 election, you wouldn't know, for example, that Donald was for a decade up to his his eyeballs with a major international cocaine trafficker who he did incredible, extraordinary favors for that only makes sense if they were in business together. And so there's no reason to think Bragg would have read my books, even though they were bestsellers. But at this point, I don't see any reason for Bragg to hold back. Uh, uh, I think that he has a duty here to find a case. Now, I want to be real clear, Mike, this is not the most important case to bring against Trump, and it is not the biggest case. Donald converted $153 million of positive income into more than $50 million of negative income, $200 million swing. This is hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's just that a jury can understand these issues. They're simple to present. I've been to federal tax trials as far back as 1976, where prosecutors from the Justice Department get up and they say, well, we're we're prosecuting this man because under section da 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 when you connect it to section da 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 the following happens, and jurors' eyes glaze over. Um, and, and that's, by the way, I've also been calling for fundamental reform of our concept of white-collar crime laws. We need to really rethink our white-collar crime laws because there's too many uh, ways to confuse juries and to um, escape uh, accountability. But I think, I think Bragg has every duty, and that's what I wrote in the New York Daily News, to pursue a criminal tax fraud case against Donald Trump. And I think this is an easy way to get a conviction. Beyond uh, the Schedule C filings and that advice, did you come across any other potential flags or did you come across any evidence which bothered you in that the IRS didn't sufficiently pursue it or seems not to have just judging by the fact that there has been no audit or charges against Trump? Well, um, yes. And, and I can explain why the IRS didn't audit Trump, but uh, several things. First of all, there are some charitable deductions that don't seem to make sense and he would have to be able to justify. Donald has a long history of, in his public statements, claiming land values for land he donated were vastly higher than they were. Uh, his uh, uh, Palos Verdes uh, golf course in Southern California, um, on the tax rolls, he threatened to sue unless he got a $10 million valuation. By his own account, he then claimed, I think it was $26 million for a portion of the, um, the golf course that is not developable because it's an active earthquake zone and the ground moves. 
So just so listeners understand, Trump's modus operandi is when talking to banks and offering his assets as collateral to inflate them, and when talking to the IRS or the government and asking for deductions to pretend that they are worth much less than they are. It's not unknown. No, they're worth, that they're worth much more. Oh, so, right. That they're worth right. much you, more. So, so you, you maximize your, deductions. Yes. You pose to your banker as a wealthy man so you can borrow money and you pose to the IRS as generous and impecunious at the same time. Yes. And so, you know, here's a piece of land that you can't build housing on that he claimed 21 million, 21 or $26 million for. He actually uses it as a driving range. Um, and uh, so there's no real loss to him. And there are other charitable gifts that we know were nonsense. I mean, Donald, you know, spent money to buy portraits of himself, which is illegal. And the New York State Attorney General got him to admit to that. And then there's a very curious thing on the returns, uh, uh, Schedule C's, called cost of goods sold. So imagine you uh, buy clothing and then resell it. Well, your cost of goods is what you pay to buy the clothing. But Donald's in the real estate business. And every one of the former IRS, retired IRS auditors who got in touch with me said, what's this? You know, if this is real estate, it's supposed to report it in a different way. I mean, there's a great deal about Donald Trump's taxes that you will only truly understand if you have the business records. And the Manhattan DA at least had them. They apparently have given at least some of them back, but they can get them again. I don't understand why the outlets I cited or places like Bloomberg haven't run with this if what you're saying is as slam dunk as you're portraying it. Well, I would say a lot of my career, including when I was at the New York Times, was I would report something that other people didn't, <coughs> in good part because, Mike, most journalists give you an accurate accounting of what their sources tell them, but they really don't understand what they're writing about. I read stories every day in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the LA Times, the New York Times, all of which I subscribe to where it's a very well-written front page story about something in economics or tax or regulatory law, but it's clear to me that the writer has no idea what they're writing about because journalists typically do not study things at the level of theory and principle. They study them at the mechanical level of, my sources told me this, and I went and talked to these other sources to cross-check the facts. That's the end of the inquiry. Yeah. And and I've I come across that phenomenon too, but uh, the big news organizations have people in their midst with real expertise, and that that David Barstow and the others who won the Pulitzer. I mean, I don't know, maybe they were at literally your colleagues at the Times for a while. Yes, um, they seem to have they demonstrated sufficient expertise, or at least talking to ex experts to put together um, a very compelling and justly rewarded case in 2018. Why not now? I keep coming back to, you have made this inference. I don't think it's an unfair inference, but it is an inference. And it seems like Bloomberg and the uh, Times aren't willing to go as far as you are. Well, the 2018 New York Times project, which the paper credited me with inspiring them to do, mm -hmm. uh, is uh, the most brilliant uh, piece of investigative reporting I've ever read. And I'm a former president of investigative reporters and editors, our, our professional organization. Uh, I sat down to read it with a legal pad and a pen, ready to look at every nit I could find. And there wasn't a single one. I couldn't believe it. I reread it a second time. And it's flawless, which is an extraordinary thing for an article of that size, uh, that it, in every detail, economics, accounting, business principles, it was absolutely perfect. Um, I think that the level of time and effort to thoroughly go through Trump's taxes now 
is sort of uh, redundant in that we all know a lot more about him. So give me a prediction. Give me a prediction on uh, what you think should happen and will happen. Well, uh, what should happen is that Trump should be prosecuted by the state by the state of New York through the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, or the state attorney general, uh, Letitia James, for income tax fraud. Mimi Roca, the former federal prosecutor's district attorney now in Westchester County, should go after him for property tax fraud. And uh, I'm sure that Fannie Willis, the uh, Fulton County Overlays Atlanta district attorney, is going to be prosecuting him. And it's very clear that Jack Smith, the newly appointed special prosecutor, will bring the most important case, and that's over the human intelligence documents at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and hopefully in that trial, we will learn whether any American agents or any American assets were either killed or you know put in, in real danger. Uh, on the civil side, there is no excuse for the Internal Revenue Service in the state of New York to do anything except to go after every year they can find records for to make Donald Trump pay the taxes that he owed. The standard in civil law is much lower than in federal law. And uh, under the principle of general deterrence, he is the poster boy for pursuing it. Now, what do I expect to actually happen? I think Alvin Bragg will indict on something. Uh, Fannie Willis will indict on something uh, involving uh, trying to overturn the Georgia election results. Uh, Jack Smith's clearly going to uh, frame a case. How exactly he's going to shape his indictment, we won't know until it happens. And I think Mimi Roca will pursue uh, a, at least a civil case over the property taxes. But there's a bigger story here, Mike, and that is um, our tax system is not what people think it is. Um, my next book, which I set aside when Trump announced seven and a half years ago, is a proposal for an entirely new federal tax system. That you know, right now the official government version of our tax code is 3,984 pages. My tax code will be 200 pages, and it will be virtually cheat-proof. It's nothing radical about it. It's entirely based on ancient principles. Uh, progressive tax is an ancient principle. It's in the Old Testament. It's in ancient Greece. Karl uh, 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 Marx came along. He was a Johnny-come-lately by a couple thousand years. Um, uh, it is. It won't require tax returns. It will replace the corporate income tax with something smarter and better. There was a time when a corporate income tax was a smart idea. It's not today for a modern developed country. It is for a place like Honduras, but not for America, not for Western Europe, not for Australia, New Zealand, Japan. And uh, once, if, if we can get the American public to agree to do this, to tell legislators, if you don't do this, we're going to vote you out, we will have a much wealthier country, a much more efficient economy, and we'll stop this business where literally, Many big companies and individuals convert the burden of the corporate and individual income tax into a profit center. When I first reported that more than 20 years ago, the New York Times was flooded with letters and calls from people who said, well, who's this crazy person you hired? And then the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation staff undertook the biggest study they've ever made, 1,800-page, three-volume study that said I was exactly right, and they actually reproduced documents where companies stamped tax documents profit center. And th that's outrageous. We need to put a stop to that. Nobody should make money off of the taxes they owe the government. But, you know, one of the biggest masters of that is Warren Buffett. 
Warren Buffett makes a lot of money off tax. He pays a lot of taxes. But if you could see his internal accounting, he makes money at least off portions of his tax bill. David K. Johnson is winner of the 2001 Pulitzer for his reporting on tax loopholes. He's the author most recently of The Big Cheat, How Donald Trump Fleeced America and Enriched Himself and His Family. And his new book on rewriting the tax code is forthcoming, though I do advise you, Mr. Johnson, to file whatever proceeds under the old tax code, not your new proposal. (laughs) Good, Good advice, Mike. Take my advice. Thanks so much. Thank you. And now the spiel. Joe Biden made the announcement today. The United States will be sending 31 Abram tanks to Ukraine. Thank you very much, said the Ukrainians. Danke for the tanke, said the Germans, who now were liberated to send their Leopard 2 tanks. I saw the headline a couple of days ago in Reuters. Explainer, why has Ukraine sought Leopard 2 battle tanks? Virgin Vit played in Bloomberg. What tanks will Ukraine get and why does it want them? I turned to my son and said, Emmett, you lightly follow the news out of Ukraine. But, you know, you're unfamiliar with the geopolitical dimensions, to say nothing of the geological configuration of the ground in the Donetsk region. Emmett, could you venture a guess as to why Ukraine wants tanks? Uh, to defeat the Russians? Correct the mundo! To beat back the Russians, or as Joe Biden explained in his speech today, Secretary Austin has recommended this step because it will enhance the Ukraine's capacity to defend its territory and achieve its strategic objectives. The holdup was that the Germans didn't want to commit before the Americans committed, and the Poles and other European countries who own Leopard tanks couldn't commit without German say-so. If you thought longbows and slingshots were the only weapons sold with strings attached, no, you were wrong. Tanks, pretty much the ultimate physical, corporeal object, very, very heavy things, apparently act more like MP3s than vinyl records. Whoever sold it to you still owns the underlying rights if you say want to put your tanks on a armed vehicle file-sharing version of Napster. So there was a little bit of a holdup based on an understandable hesitancy to poke the nuclear bear. The Germans, reluctant to stick it more to the Russians than they have to. But it's okay that the Russians are getting hit hard by HIMARS. The line is Putin simply can't have his face torn off by leopards. Well, obviously, that's not the line. The hurdle was entirely diplomatic, which is understandable and surmountable. Tanks crush hurdles. Trenches. Trenches are the hard part for tanks. But another hurdle beyond the diplomatic was evoked, and I couldn't quite believe it. The Abrams, argued U.S. sources, did poorly by... Consumer Reports Fuel Efficiency Standards? CNN's Luke McGee reported. The U.S. insists its M1 Abrams tank is the wrong fit. The M1 Abrams is a heavy, fuel-guzzling vehicle. No, not gas guzzlers. Of course, there are also 120 millimeter ammunition deliverers. I mean, if you want to compare the dangerous emissions from tanks, on one end, you got the exhaust pipe. Certainly doesn't help the war on climate change. On the other end, you got a gun turret that has a much more direct effect on the war on that group of combatants standing over there and their breathing status change. 
Martha Raddatz on This Week This Week quoted the Pentagon's environmental objections. The, the Pentagon says they're too cumbersome, complicated, expensive. They only get three miles per gallon. Really? We're inspecting the MPG highway and city tag now? We're really going to withhold a tank from a war zone over fuel economy concerns. How about with every tank, we'll throw in a Tesla. Makes everyone feel good. You know, I don't know what the carbon footprint of the Red Army is, but if you need to cite that as one reason to repel aggressors who are invading your country and committing war crimes against your citizens, sure, sure, talk about that. Those guys massacred civilians in Buka and also did not recycle. I trust that charge will show up somewhere in The Hague. In the spirit of accuracy, I think the fuel economy concerns were mostly a logistics worry that these tanks practically need to come with their own mobile service stations or Exxon, whoever whoever bought mobile a couple years ago. The Leopard 2, by the way, which Germany did announce, it would begin supplying 14, I think, initially to match the 31 Abrams tanks the U.S. is supplying into the war zone. The Leopard 2 gets 80 liters per 75 kilometers on roads and 120 liters per 75 kilometers across the country. Don't worry, I did the math. It's about two and less than two miles a gallon, worse than the Abrams, which you might think put the German Green Party in opposition. But no, German lawmaker Katrin Goring Eckhart, who is a senior Green Party lawmaker, a member of the German coalition, said, the leopard's free. Free to take the fight to the Russians in a more effective way than ever before. Now, Vladimir Zelensky does have a bribery scandal within his ranks, and let's hope he's not leaving documents lying around in his garage. But for now, the Ukrainian battlefield success has led to just more success and greater cohesion in the NATO alliance, and as big a weaponry game changer as anything since the Ukrainians acquired those HIMAR missiles. Yay! The German tanks are set to roll across Europe. It's not a familiar cry in the service of battling oppression. That is true, not historically, but in this case, it really, really is. This is a serious setback to Russian ambitions and perhaps a wee contribution to smog in Crimea. And that's it for today's show. Corey Wara is producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson is senior producer. Michelle Pasca is COO of Peachfish Productions. The Gist is also presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast. For advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. They will serve your advertising needs. They will not wait and insist that the U.S. Pentagon liberate its own advertisements in order for them to allow advertising on The Gist. No, we have freed the advertisement. Yay! Oom Peru, G Peru, Du Peru, and thanks for listening.